Let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and as you're turning, I want to particularly mention that the children uh, ages 4 to 6 are welcome to go to children's worship training or else to remain with their parents here in the sanctuary, whichever is best for your family. Uh, We love your children and want to train them in the Word, either here with us or else out uh, with the children uh, in children's worship training. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. As as you're continuing to find that passage, let me give you uh, one anecdote from the General Assembly. Uh, For my sins, I was made a convener, and then it's uh, inevitably chairman of the Interchurch Relations Committee of Commissioners. And that means that uh, I had the privilege of standing in front of the Assembly for about six hours while some uh, dear brethren from all around the world made... uh, uh, speeches of various sorts, uh, addresses to the assembly. And uh, before I went to the microphone, the, uh, the moderator, who was from uh, New York City, uh, noted to the assembly that the night before, uh, out of kindness and courtesy to him as the newly elected moderator, I had given him a Krispy Kreme donut. And uh, that may have been the greatest ecclesial event of the whole assembly. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, as we continue uh, in the odd times when our senior pastor is away, and I must fill the pulpit in the mornings to slowly work our way through the epistle to the Hebrews. Uh, As we come, uh, let's ask for God's blessing. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we do ask for your presence now. We know this is your word. It's inspired and inerrant, true and sure, and you have given every syllable to us that we might hang on your every word and open our hearts by your grace. We pray that you would teach us from your word and that you would transform us more and more into the thinking and image of Christ our Lord, whom we love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3, our pericope is a short section, verses 12 to 19. Hear the word of God. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is written, Today, if you hear His voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. May the words of our hearts and the meditations of our minds bless the name of the thrice holy God. Near the close of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ makes a shocking statement, words which shake us. He says, not everyone 
who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, those are sobering words, hard words for hard spiritual times. And the text before us this morning in the epistle to the Hebrews also has hard words, scary words, which shake us and hopefully help us to see our need of the Savior all the more. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews says things about falling away. He speaks of being hardened in heart of sin and the danger of unbelief which chases each one of us. And so here in this short pericope in the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 3, we hear a warning given to each one of us personally. It reaches out and touches us on a personal emotional level when he says in the kingdom of God, mere profession is not necessarily true possession. Mere profession is not true possession. Now, it's right there up front. He, he says that we need to take care lest there believe, be an unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. What frightening words. Who is it that can fall away? Well, he goes on to quote from the Old Testament. And he points to Old Testament Israel as the quintessential example of a group that was saying that they were following God and and on some levels acting like they were following God on the outside, but truly were not from the heart. The citation given today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, which is found in verse uh, 15, is a citation from Psalm 95, that beautiful, wonderful passage which includes the the memorable call to worship we hear so often. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And I can remember as a child having our senior pastor recite these words over and over again at the, at the beginning of services. I think it was his favorite call to worship. And, and so like uh, getting to wear your coat on any day that your mother feels that it's cold, so too we got to hear this call to worship on any occasion when it would delight his soul. I remember in college, in my first PCA church, Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina, Paul Settle, who who was so much a father of the PCA, responsible for standing up for the Bible, come what may. He was one who would use this particular call to worship on many occasions, and and it warms our hearts to be invited and, and commanded to come before the Holy God, to hear His voice, and to know that He gives us pasture, and we are His sheep. But the psalmist doesn't end there. He goes on to give us a warning 
about not worshiping. Yes, an invitation to come and worship the Lord, but a cautionary note is also sounded. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation, he said, and and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so the psalmist plays his lyre, and we hear his beautiful and sweet notes when he calls us to worship the true and living God. And then we hear the minor key, that contrasting dark set of tones which make the sweeter all the more sweet when we hear that we should not harden our hearts and become like those who were loathed by the living God in the wilderness. Oh, God, God announces to us in his inspired word that Old Testament Israel fell away from him at different times and different seasons. Uh, They did not heed his true call to worship. They they might have gathered outwardly. They they might have had all the proper form and order. Uh, They may have even been more strictly obedient to the second commandment and and the uh, regulative principle of worship than we ourselves might be. But yet in the heart, in the mind, in the soul, in the life they did not serve and follow the living God. This is the classic example that the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is citing from Psalm 95. It's Old Testament Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt, coming out from underneath the shadow and foot of Pharaoh, uh, seeing the Red Sea split, hearing the word of God thundered to them by Mount Sinai, seeing but yet not able to enter the promised land, withdrawing, being led in the desert in circles until they almost all died. God blessed them with dramatic miracles for their release, but they responded with bitterness and complaining. They died in the desert, having followed God more outwardly than truly inwardly. But this problem of unbelief, this problem of of not really believing and falling away was not limited to the Exodus generation. It was also characteristic of all of Israel all too much of the time. Do you remember the period of the judges? Do you remember the cycle that would happen one judge after another? God would bless, they would prosper, things would go well, and they would grow presumptuous. They would grow arrogant in the blessings that God gave them, strangely, rather than humble and thankful in their hearts. And so, in presumption, they would rebel against him. They would be more concerned with their own status and their own pleasure and their own feeling than with service to the living God. And so God would come upon them in judgment. And they would feel the evil of their wicked ways. And they would cry out for another deliverer. And the cycle would begin all over again. Does that same pattern not characterize the history of the kings? Oh, just for a couple of generations, the 
kingdoms of Israel and Judah are united, but this pattern of wandering eyes and hearts, this pattern of idolatry and rebelliousness, this pattern of presumption and evil results in the north and in the south in cycles of judgment by a true and living God. Even the Babylonian captivity did not keep them from falling away. Even being cast off into a far-off land and and having to come back and, and just with a foothold begin to build up Israel, to build up Jerusalem again, you would think that would do the trick, but yet not. The Old Testament people of Israel too often simply fell away. But New Testament Israel in the Scriptures is seen occasionally falling away as well. You see, there there are those in the Bible who fell away, and, and this particular passage in the New Testament is being addressed to Jews who are Christians in a Christian church who name the name of Christ. And so it's not surprising that the New Testament is filled with the same thing. What happened to the crowds who followed Jesus? The countless throngs who were fed, who realized that he had walked on water, who uh, waved branches at different points uh, hailing his name. Do you remember as he moved north up to Caesarea Philippi? How many were left of all the crowds after his clear teaching, his strong teaching on our need for him to be our true meat, our bread, and our true drink? Just the disciples just a handful. And Jesus asked if they wanted to leave as well. Oh, all had departed by the time they reached Caesarea Philippi. The crowd was gone. And what happened in the book of Acts to Ananias and Sapphira? Do you remember them? A a Christian family of some means and, and they sold a piece of property and gave some of the money to the church for the relief of other new believers in their midst. But they lied to the Holy Spirit in the way they did it, and and they breathed their last. Or what about Demas? Do you remember Demas? Paul's traveling and missionary companion and helper. During Paul's first uh, Roman imprisonment, his first imprisonment in Rome, uh, Demas was a right-hand man, a, a great help and aid and comfort to the apostle. But during his second Roman imprisonment, Paul tells us that Demas loved this present world And he ran away to join it, away from Christ. Oh, New Testament Israel can fall away as well. And and these examples from the New Testament begin to strike us a little too close at home, do they not? The truth is, the Bible here is teaching us that all who profess faith can fall away in some sense too. You and I can fall away if indeed our profession is but a bare one. A naked one in word only and not in substance. Falling away from a profession of faith is all too common. You see, sometimes we as Presbyterians think that we're on our high and holy mountain of the doctrines of assurance and predestination, and and therefore we're safe. But at the end of the day, this passage in Hebrews 3 reaches out and shakes us, not in spite of the doctrines of assurance and predestination, but frankly because of them. Those doctrines are not slighted in the least by this sober truth which the inspired writer is here communicating. You see, what he's describing is a falling away 
from a profession of faith. Not necessarily a falling away from the true faith, but just from a bare profession of faith. It's not that those that are the Lord's chosen and elected from all eternity lose their salvation. It's rather that those who are not the Lord's all alone in substance, but only only his by bare profession and by word, they're found out by the hand of the providence of God. They're discovered, and they fall away from what they said was true, but really wasn't true at all. Those were ones who never really were his before, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and that he will deny them on the last day. But still, that sober truth that among the people of God, there are those who would only bear a profession by word and not really have it be part of their heart and life. That's a scary thing to think about and part of the trembling that the inspired writer and the Holy Spirit want us to feel. This particular passage this morning is a frightening passage. It's called technically a threatening passage. And the Bible is full of them in one place or another. You remember back in Genesis chapter 2, in verses 16 and 17, when the, the Lord God spoke to our first father and first mother in the Garden of Eden in a context of innocence and righteousness and beauty, what did he say? Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. There was a threatening, a covenantal threatening there attached if they disobeyed. But we see the same sort of thing in Exodus as God delivers the Ten Commandments to us through Moses. Exodus chapter 20 gives us uh, in part the second and third commandments. Verses 4 through 7 say, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so here the threatenings begin. A jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The whole point of the threatening is to make us tremble. It's to give us pause. It's like a slap that stops us so that we will ask that most deep and introspective question. Lord, is it me? Lord, do, Lord, do I worship things rather than you? Lord, do I take your name in vain? Lord, am I one who, who says that they serve you but don't truly have you in my heart and life? In Matthew 25, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, our Lord gives us a snapshot of the end times to come. And there he tells us that there will be those gathered before him who will hear the words, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was thirsty and you gave me nothing, etc. But then they cry out, Lord, when? Lord, when did we see you? <laughs> Saw plenty of other people and, and didn't help them, but what about you? All those Christians coming by, all those preachers, all those missionaries, 
all those folks who claim to know you and speak for you, we, we saw them and they were in need and we didn't help them. But if we had only seen you, the parable implies. Threatening passages like that are not just intended for those out there. They're also intended for all of us in here, in the body of Christ, in the assembly of the Lord, that we might be shaken and better see and feel our need of the Savior. Do you? Do you feel your need of the Savior? Oh, it's not just once in your life at a point of spiritual crisis that you feel your need. As you come before the living God in worship, as you sing praise and thanksgiving to Him, as you see something of Him through His Word and His holiness and His righteousness and power, your soul should tremble and you should flee to the Savior. For indeed, is He not the only firm rock on which you can stand? Is Jesus Christ not the only one in whose righteousness you can be robed and be accepted before the true and living God? Oh, let the threatening passages not just scare you like some kind of dark movie, but let them encourage you. Let them lead you. Let them help you run to Jesus for comfort and rest. But why do they fall away? Our passage is speaking to the church and speaking of those who fall away. And why in the world would ever want someone fall away from a profession of faith? Well, the, verse 12 tells us, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you a, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You see, the author knows that belief is a matter of disposition and decision by the grace of God. Not just emotional sentiment that moves us for a short season. My friends, you're not victims of your own belief, but rather you're the masters of them. You're responsible to God for them. You're responsible to believe and to trust in the true and living God. To believe and to trust that He's the one way of salvation. To believe and trust in His Son who He sent into the world to save sinners like us. To rise up every morning and to look to heaven and give thanks to Him that you can believe in and trust in Him alone who is your salvation. Have you read the paper recently? Have you looked online and and seen any of the news websites? Have you read the Drudge Report? It will scare you to death. And well, it should. We're in a fallen world. But run to Jesus when you find threatening and worry. Trust in Him alone who is your salvation. Though the earth melt, though the mountains be thrown into the sea, He is the one who is the comfort of your heart. And verse 12 also implies to us that unbelief is sin. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, we hear. You know, the movement of soul and life in a man and a woman and a child is a very complex and difficult thing to chart. But our hearts can be inclined to evil. They can be unbelieving, recalcitrant, rebellious against God, unwilling to accept His Word and His rebuke that would bring us joyfully back to the Savior. Watch out for that evil, the author tells us. 
Watch out for Satan crouching at your door and seeking to take you away from the true Christian faith. I remember many years ago when at the seminary in Jackson there was a student who called his professor and professed to be having all sorts of intellectual and spiritual problems with the Christian faith. Oh, he came and sat down and he cataloged that he had a problem with the resurrection. He just wasn't quite sure of that anymore. How could that have happened? And he was beginning to have doubts about the virgin birth and the incarnation. Just didn't seem very reasonable to him, he said. And this whole thing about growth in grace and justification and sanctification, it was beginning to ring a little hollow to him. And his wise professor leaned across the desk and said, Now, son... What's really wrong? What's at the root of all of this? And the man began to cry. And he confessed that he and his wife had been out of sorts for months. And the professor said, you know, your marriage has gone to bad spiritual seed. Instead of your relationship, your life being one of sympathy and support and encouragement, where you build each other up in the faith, you have turned your face away from her. And so you have insulted her angel, and your prayers have bounced off the ceiling, and you have gone through a season of sifting in the hands of the living God. All of his crop of intellectual problems were but the fruit of his own moral disobedience, his own lack of proper relationship to the one he had pledged his troth. Oh, unbelief is not just philosophy over teacups. Unbelief is not just little marks on a whiteboard by a very clever professor. Unbelief is evil and leads men astray in how they live as well as how they think and feel. And verse 12 also implies for us that an unbelieving heart always falls away from the living God. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And so this passage confronts each one of us. Where do you stand with the living God? He's not just an abstract idea. He's true and living. He's aware. He's interested. He's involved. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There's nothing too hard for Him. And the question of the hour is, where do you stand with Him? Do you stand for Him or against Him? Do you stand with Him and with His people in truly praising His name from your heart? Or is it just so many words? You may have learned them in Sunday school. You may have heard them on the Internet. But at the end of the day... The bare language itself is not enough. You must have Him. You must have His Son if you are to have life and have it abundantly. So what is the remedy? The author of the epistle to the Hebrews is being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And He doesn't leave us fallen in a wretched condition. He picks us up and shows us the right way through. Take care Brothers, he says. He uses the plural. He addresses not just one in isolation, but the whole assembly of God. 
He says in good southern fashion, lest there be any of y'all who fall away. And so he teaches our hearts that we need to be together. We need to attend the public worship of God. We need to honor his name, not just alone, but within the bonds of Christian fellowship and light and life. Oh, do not neglect the gathering together of yourselves, he says. And this remedy, you see, points to the mutual encouragement that we are one to another. It's not just presence in the church that matters. It's not just sitting in your usual chair or or drinking your normal cup of coffee out during the fellowship time. Those are good. But church involvement, involvement in one another's lives, caring and sharing, showing concern for others, using the gifts that Christ has given to strengthen the whole of the body. You see, if you are absent, you are missed. We have a really good counting system. And we know if you're here or not. But you see, if you're absent, you're not just missed. The church is not the same without you. There are others here who need your presence and encouragement. In the providence of God, you come this morning with something to offer them by way of a word, by way of testimony, by way of encouragement or or other ability in order to help them grow and blossom in their Christian life and walk. You know, I had a funny time at the General Assembly. I, I had to repeatedly apologize to our delegation. I would, I would slip out for some committee business, and, and I would be gone uh, an hour longer than I thought I would be. I, I would slip out to go to the restroom, and it was difficult to get back in, not because the doorways were small, but, but because there were all these pesky things called former students lined up. And uh, some got a little more sleep than I did because inevitably... When it gets late, all the real problems begin to come out, you know. It's that way. And so it is a ministry of God, not just to uh, be present, but to be present in the lives of others and to care for them and to listen to them and to weep with them and to point them back to the principles of the Word of God and to encourage them as they go on in their ministry. Lives hang in the balance. Ministry, your ministry matters in the lives of others. God uses you to encourage them and bless them. And ultimately, he points us in verse 14 to the very ground of all of this. For we have come to share in Christ, he says, the Son of the living God. You see, your Christian piety rests on Christ alone, the solid rock of the faith. And with him, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. But without him, the gates of hell teach you a very difficult lesson as you feel the pain of your need of a Savior. Hear this message from Hebrews chapter 3. God will not spare unbelief even in the church. You must look again and anew to Christ your Savior, and He will bless you sure. Let us pray.